Good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are, and welcome to In a Nutshell, a podcast focused on innovation, entrepreneurship, and bringing about change. I'm Akshay Sareen, your host for the first series where we explore social entrepreneurship, in a nutshell, of course, a podcast by First Main in collaboration with Blessed By. Our guest for today is Neeraj Marathe, who is the co-founder of Cool Crop, and we're going to explore the current social entrepreneurship scene in India with him in today's episode. So, um, Cool Crop, pretty cool name. Oh, thanks. So tell, tell me a bit more about, uh, I mean, I, I read a bit about it, but if you can just tell everyone who's listening a little bit more about Cool Crop and you know, what was the social problem that you identified and how you decided to respond to it? Yeah. Um, so basically with earlier jobs that I did and um, my research into agricultural supply chain and also the commonly available data that we have, of course, there's this huge food wastage at the farm gate and across the supply chain, uh, especially in perishables like vegetables and fruits. But what we also found out is that the behavior of especially small and marginal farmers, uh, where they are, they go to the market on the same day of harvest and sell off the produce at whatever price they get. So that was the problem that we identified and thought, how can we make cooling system probably more accessible and affordable to these farmers so that they can store the produce, uh, potentially look for better buyers or better prices, better price days in the mar- nearby markets and all. That was the intent behind developing technologies, which which is accessible and affordable both um, to the farmers. I think we got technical too fast. So first, tell okay. us. <laughs> so first, tell us. Ke, so basically, it's based on solar power, huh? Uh, yes. Uh, so it is basically a small cooling unit or a cold storage. Um, which what's, what's the average size? Or what is this? What size uh, is an average size, uh, size of a room, say by uh, 10, 12 feet by ten feet by eight feet uh, high that can store around uh, 4,000 to 5,000 kgs of produce. And so explain, so like when you think of solar power, the reason why I'm interested is because, I mean, my family and lots of other people I know do use solar power for their homes, but the quantum of energy that you need to generate for cooling system, I'm assuming is huge. But uh, as far as I know, solar power been able to kind of deliver on that. So just tell me a bit more about how you manage to use solar power. Or is it like a hybrid of solar and uh, electricity? Just like explain us exactly how the cooling system works. That'd be nice. Yeah, the powering system is uh, mainly kind of customized to what the conditions are on the ground. So it can be completely solar powered. Um, and working off a battery backup at night kind of thing. Uh, it can also be a hybrid if uh, we are working in region where grid is not very stable or not very reliable, like uh, not, not there for more than 60 to 20 hours a day. Uh, mm-hmm. We have to have some kind of hybrid solutions. Uh, and if grid is available, then we also have solution which can work off. The basic intent is to kind of make it as efficient and low cost uh, operationally as well not just capital wise. Otherwise it uses uses a normal cooling system uh, that we have in our ACs, but it's much powerful machine than an AC. So it can go till zero degree C as well, because that's what some of the fruits or vegetables need to be stored at for their shelf life. And the, the value add that we have here is the control mechanism for the machine, which makes it like 25% more efficient than uh, the other solutions that are available. 
So people must be queuing up for this then. Yeah, I mean, there is a decent demand, uh, especially with the COVID-19 lockdowns and then the entire supply chain breaking down as a result mm-hmm. of that. But as I said, it's it's more to do with the behavioral change of the farmers. And so we we have discovered in the past couple of years that we need to sell this concept before selling the product itself. So among the farmers or the target group that we're targeting, it's not that common. And what's the price like? Because that always tends to be kind of a, a barrier to things being rolled out. So what we're doing is uh, kind of having a, it, it can be kind of purchased as a capital kind of purchase as well. But uh, if you talk about the cost of cooling a kg of produce, it comes down to anywhere between like 10 paise per kg till around one and a half to two rupees per kg. The cost of cooling basically. And uh, that's what uh, farmers look at uh, usually uh, when they go for such a system. So are you renting this out or are, are farmers expected to buy the unit? Yeah, so that's what uh, there are a couple of models. They can buy it, they, can, uh, they have the capital to buy it. But what we're working on is more of a cooling as a service model uh, where uh, we set it up uh, and then they pay us based on what they're using it for. How, so how do you intend on kind of rolling this out? Like what's, what's your... Um, go-to-market strategy and you know what's in this for you also as a business model so what we are currently working on is catering to the fpcs uh, that is pharma producer companies mm-hmm. that are set up especially those who are looking at fruits and vegetables as their main produce which they're marketing and there are like around 5000 fpcs across the country right now and there's a mandate to get more so basically the government is trying to aggregate the farmers, small and marginal farmers into a single unit or a company, which they called a pharma producer company. And these are our main customers that we are targeting right now because they're aggregating the vegetables and produce before heading off to the market. That's where cool crop can come in as a solution where they can store, aggregate the produce. And so how you how you actually, uh, so my second question was, what is your business model? Yeah, so we usually uh, work with partner organizations like NGOs who are in turn working with these pharma groups or FPCs or uh, an aggregator or an entrepreneur at in a village or a kind of peri-urban areas who are facilitating the supply chain uh, for these farmers. And we set, it up the, set up the unit at their location and then it can either be purchased directly by them or kind of work on the cooling as a service model. So we get a monthly rental or a quarterly rental. Wouldn't the capital expenditure on something like this be quite huge? Yeah, so... If I have to give a sense of that, um, probably if it is a 12 by 10 by 8 room that we talked about earlier, it can be anywhere between uh, 4 lakhs to like 10 lakhs, depending on whether it is completely solar powered or not, and uh, other other factors that go into designing. And so just as a hypothetical question, like if Bijli goes, then how long would the room stay cool without it coming back on? That uh, probably because of the insulation, because there's insulation yeah, yeah. that goes into the building of the room and all. Like, yeah. For four, five hours, uh, there, there's no impact on the internal temperature. It doesn't go out of the range. But we do that analysis uh, before we install so we collect kind of data of the electricity situation in the region uh, with a data log uh, a month uh, or a couple of months before we install anything so then this the solar power aspect of it i mean while it sounds super cool not no pun intended how much would it actually be and end up being used because if the if the room is going to stay cool without bijli for four or five hours then you know how 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 integral would an alternate alternative source of cooling be from a power point of view uh yeah i think it it makes sense one to reduce any 
cost of operation from the grid in areas where yeah. the cost of grid is really high, especially if you have a commercial collect connection, the cost of grid per unit can go very high. And in areas where grid is not reliable at all, like there is no uh, no pattern as to the grid failures or power cuts in in a week or so, you have to have some kind of backup and solar can do that job. And so are you working with different governments? Are you working directly with the, uh, individual FPCs? Are you working with some sort of industry body that's in, I mean, how are you going? Is it like a sequential process or is it like, a um, you know, everything's happening at the same time kind of approach? Uh, we didn't start off working with the government or like making government as a part of the, as our important stakeholder. Mm-hmm. But now we have started to work with um, the state horticulture missions. So every state has a horticulture mission and a nodal office for national horticulture board and horticulture is like fruits vegetables and flowers and that's what needs most of the cooling Mm. um they are very interested especially from past couple of uh, months uh, there has been a lot of interest in modernizing the supply chain with necessary technologies and that's where we are kind of coming in and working with them that kind of brings me to the question of uh, like the collaboration versus competition because one is that are they like what kind of competitors are there in the space i mean i'm assuming there would be quite a few because this is ag- agri technology is something that you know everyone's been talking about so actively recently so how do you collaborate with potential competitors how do you collaborate with other stakeholders um uh, yeah i mean we are we're always looking forward for more collaborations in terms of where can cool crop fit in into something which is already done by some other technology or some other potential collaborator because we have the advantage of being efficient uh, and as i mentioned earlier this problem of with the small farmers it it needs some kind of marketing of the concept as well. So it helps us to have more and more competition because at that point, it's uh, basically the farmers then come to know that a solution like this is possible right. and uh, then can evaluate the different options that they have based on the parameters that they want to like cost and efficiency and operational cost and uh, service and all of that. So yeah, I think uh, there are a few competitors already who are uh, who are doing this and there's I think room for everyone right now. The scale of the problem is very huge as, with, <laughs> as it is with every, everything in India, right? Like yeah, yeah. we say that there are like 250 million uh, small and marginal farmers, most of them also look at some kind of vegetables as their sustenance. Um, there is no end to where we, where any one of the competitors can reach. So there's room for everyone. True. Speaking of, uh, since you mentioned scale, I mean, the scale of the problem is so huge. How are you planning on scaling your organization? Like what's, what's the organization structure like? Is it a social enterprise? I mean, social enterprises are loosely thrown around words. So is it a mm-hmm. private limited company? Is it a section eight? Is it an NGO? And how, how, like what kind of organization model do you think suits your kind of organization best? Uh, yeah, we are a private limited company. And uh, the idea is to remain that because uh, we see ourselves as service providers or technology providers to the farmers because principally we believe that farmers own the system and the technology and not uh, kind of depend on someone else to do it uh, or pay for it as a service as we usually do for uh, mobile phones and internet and so on. So uh, yeah, we are a private limited company and... So I like what you brought up about farmers should farmers should participate in this and they shouldn't be dependent on other people. So how do you, I mean, what are like measures of social impact that you thought about when you kind of created this organization or project? Uh, you know, what are the things 
that count for you as social impact and how do you measure them? Yeah, I think while starting out, it was very, very basic as to, okay, are we saving this much percentage of food wastage that farmer is experiencing? And wastage is not like, oh, it's wasted suddenly because it's lying around. It's more because a farmer doesn't see it fit enough. It's not valuable enough for him to kind of go to the market and all the way and sell it for higher the price of the transport or something, which he's, he may or may not get. So that was the kind of initial metric that we evaluated upon. But as we kind of grew and learned more and more through the projects and pilots that we did, I think it has become a lot more uh, detailed in terms of, uh, okay, can we also evaluate if there is a employment generated because we have put up a storage there, uh, mm-hmm. someone can be trained to operate that unit, uh, help loading and unloading and probably be attached to the pharma producer company and uh, yeah, make a living out of it. It can also be something, an income increase in uh, for farmers uh, on a seasonal basis uh, where they are saving as much percentage of their cultivation is not going to waste because they have an on-farm storage and many other environmental socioeconomic factors. We are also kind of now tracking uh, are women farmers using this as well? Women farmers or farmers, I, I don't like, like to use that women farmers, but yeah, across the... Um, Gender balance farming. Yeah. Across the activity, women play equally uh, important role. And then when it comes to sowing or uh, harvesting, just taking care of the plants and all of that uh, in the in the field, all of that women are involved and can they kind of go a step further and uh, also get into post-harvest kind of uh, marketing, processing, storing kind of is what we are also trying to evaluate. Uh, We are working with a few women-based FPOs as well. Uh, So those are things that basically evaluating how this technology is kind of proving as a ladder to farmers to not just think about agriculture as something that they have inherited, but also kind of go out and look at it as a sustainable business for their generations to come. What are the other people doing in this space? Do you see government is so is actively supporting social entrepreneurs, or do you think they could do more? So I'm really interested because I, like the idea is amazing, and it's like you said, it's a huge problem, and it's something that supply chain is on everyone's mind, um, specifically with with fresh produce. So how do you accelerate something like this? And how do you, so A, how do you accelerate? And B, what are the barriers that you are currently facing in the journey that, you know, from where you are to where you want to be? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, government uh, hasn't defined uh, kind of incentives for social enterprise in India, right? Like, or anywhere across. In some countries, or in the US, you can see that there is a more specific kind of structure, which is called B Corp. In India, there's no such thing. So government doesn't, I think it doesn't focus on the structure of the company. It is more about what problems are being addressed in a particular sector. And in agriculture, a lot has been done and a lot is happening since past 10 years with the startup scene booming, yeah. especially in agri-tech. And there are all, con- there's all there's everything across, right from sowing seeds and looking at meteorological data till that. Uh, produce reaches the customers. There are startups coming up in everything and doing pretty well. They are still kind of thinking of it as a programmatic way where you need to kind of have integrated solution rather than coming as service providers. But that's also changing uh, very rapidly. So they are looking at, uh, not at probably a national level, but uh, in some cases we have seen that there is a lot of push uh, for startups as well. And they're keen to work with people like us who who just started to fill in the gaps that are there not just look for the entire supply chain being shifted from player a to player b kind of stuff and then that's what i think it's more to do with uh keeping farmer um 
or pharma producing uh, organizations in in the center of everything and then using the innovations and startups uh, to fill in the gaps and address problems that farmers face in supply chain rather than handing over the control to completely different kind of person who can take care of supply chain and still kind of uh, not add a value to the farmer so mm-hmm. i think that approach we see there is a decent push towards that and the implementation as always may be a bit patchy across the country but good signs so speaking of uh, people contributing the like different aspects of of the value chain who are some social entrepreneurs that you would uh, like to collaborate with in your space or different companies that you would like to collaborate with in your space or even if it's not in your industry who are some social entrepreneurs that you think are good examples that would be applicable to what you are trying to do i think uh, when you talk about i i mean, I've primarily worked in rural uh, space since past 6 7 years and one thing that amazes me is how well amul has done what it has done since so many years uh, yeah. and i think people have been trying to replicate the model that amul followed for milk for uh, for basically vegetables and fruits and other produce yeah. but it's simply not possible and i think that is kind of a benchmark if we can do that well with cooperative model in uh, agri produce i think that will be a game changer and uh, there are many initiatives um, locally i worked with timbuktu collective uh, in, in andhra pradesh uh, previously yeah, for a project and i was i'm really impressed with what they did as an enterprise like generating revenue from farmers out of barren land mm. and that's a story that everyone should know about uh, where was working in uh, in rural and agri space so um, any tips suggestions for people interested in this space who people who are starting their social entrepreneurship journey or people who are on the social entrepreneurship journey i i feel that when when we're designing a solution it should be it should be catering to maximum number of people who are impacted by the problem mm. uh, and that's an important parameter to kind of scale up and so solution just doesn't mean a I, that's what i've learned along the way that it doesn't just mean a product or a technology it encompasses everything um probably how to finance it how to kind of market it and everything kind of comes together so you need to think about everything uh, especially in social context or uh, if your problem uh, your solution is addressing a very relevant social problem then you need to think about all of those as a, as a part of the solution as well so no more more sentinote i was thinking uh, to kind of wrap it up if It would be nice if you could share like one story of you know like the work that you've been doing where you actually saw it make a difference because I can imagine the solution that you're offering it can it does change so many people's lives tremendously so I think it would be nice to kind of hear like you know one small little story about uh, how you kind of went about that and how it felt yeah um, in agriculture it's it's uh, it's complete like to measure the impact it takes a year year and a half and all of that few seasons have to go by to see what they are doing with the system. Uh, but we got a very interesting feedback from the first pilot that we did uh, this was uh, somewhere in western ghats on goa karnataka border mm-hmm. and they grew a specific kind of tuber produce and they were looking to kind of scale up the production all of that uh, and we set up a unit so it is a tribal community basically and we set up a unit in a it's a tiger reserve where we set up the first unit they stored the produce for around 3 to 4 months because tubers can be 
stored for longer, like potatoes and all. So yeah. they stored it, and uh, then next, I they did get a decent, like I think three three to four times the price that they usually get in season when they were marketing it after three to four months. And at that point, they told us about uh, how some of the men in the village do go to like Goa for construction activity as migrant labor, and potentially if this kind of scales up, then they can easily make extra income. Uh, by storing and processing and all of that, which uh, can prevent it, then not uh, require them to go to looking for a job to other cities or Goa nearby towns and all for construction work. Uh, and that really struck me. And they did it. Like they, I think they increased the production by around twice or thrice later that year for the next season. Oh, and I think some of them did stay back and kind of took on this initiative of marketing their own produce later on uh, in the second year as well. Hmm. So those those kind of stories, I think, validate what we have been trying to do. And what is the the strangest thing you have seen in a refrigerator? Ah, uh, water bottles. <laughs> in, in summer, there was farmer. He set up unit. I just went for, for a. This was in Gujarat, and he had few bottles of juice and uh, like there's a local drink in Gujarat called Socio and uh, a crate of Socio and uh, it's made in uh, in the Gujarat and bottled there and it's kind of a kala khatta yeah, yeah. I, had, I was actually just oh, talking yeah. to my parents about it like over lunch <laughs> okay. yeah so they had a crate of Socio bottles in there and a uh, uh, few bottle bottles and all of that <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see that coming and they were also chilling, chilling in the room. <laughs> uh, thankfully not, because it was at two degrees to four degrees. It was at that temperature. So I, I remember when we were kids, my my dad used to work for uh, this ice cream company, and mm. so he took us um, like to visit the factory, the ice cream factory. And I think the highlight, I mean, of course, other than eating ice cream all day long, the the highlight was to go into the cold storage room and you know just to experience. Um, I mean, of course. Ice cream factory cold storage room is a lot colder than um, mm. produced. But it's just such a cool experience to experience a different environment, completely different environment in, in a room. So I'm assuming that if as a farmer sitting in Rajasthan, it could be quite, um, you know, quite a change from the outside temperature to going into a room like this. It's quite amazing what technology can do. So what would you do next after this? I think that we are still adding on technologies as we go ahead. We are working on something for cool transport. Also looking at where else can we get in in terms of uh, providing services to already established producer companies and so on. So yeah, fully occupied with this for now. Nice. And what do you like? So let's say you and I bump into each other like two years from now at a house party or on the street. Like where do you want to have seen cool crop? have grown to or what you hope it would have achieved that we can look forward to in our next interaction two years from now. Yeah, two years is a short time <laughs> if I look at what where we have come. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at numbers and all, that's what we usually we tend to think about it. Oh, I'll get to this numbers and all of that. Uh, but I, I, I hope that most of the systems that we do are are kind of what we first installed have now broken even for the farmers and for us and so on. So uh, I really want to see that this proves to be a Good viable solution for maximum number of people or across across the country. So we currently are in six states. Mm-hmm. We want to get to northeast and uh, Himachal and Kashmir. That was a plan before this year started out, and uh, hopefully we'll get there this by end of this year. But uh, yeah, be there in the most horticulture producing states in India at least. Have around uh, at 
at least uh, 10,000 tons of storage capacity by end of not year two, but probably year three, year four. Currently, we are around at around 150, 200 metric ton capacity yeah. across. Uh, so, so I know that when global warming really hits us, I, I will not go on Airbnb.com. I'll come check out Cool Crop. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool, man. Thanks for your time. It's really interesting what you're doing. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Social Entrepreneurship in a Nutshell. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates on new episodes. If you wish to get in touch with any of our speakers, just drop us a message and we'll get back to you. See you in our next episode.